Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Uh, the text this morning will be Luke 11, 29, and 32, 29 through 32, and also Matthew 12, 38 through 42, if you want to find that in your Bible. So Luke 11, starting verse 29, says this. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And then Matthew 12, verse 38 through 42. says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah... And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Thank you, Levi. How many of you uh, that have been in church, how many of you have ever heard this passage of scripture preached before? The sign of Jonah. Raise your hand. Two or three. Same as last hour. It's interesting, as I was even doing research on this and, and kind of looking at how different people approach this passage, everyone skips it. Um, but as I, as I got into it and started studying, really trying to understand what this was about, there's some cool truth here that I, that I, I think, I, I pray, the Lord will teach you this morning. But let, let us understand what's going on here. So at this point, Jesus is just a few months away from the cross. So his, his ministry is, has been going for a few years and, and he is almost there. And by this time, the Pharisees, uh, at least certain groups of the Pharisees, have kind of decided that Jesus needs to be done away with, and they want to murder him. And they're working on that plan now. And it's in this environment where Jesus is almost there, there's, this, there's people working against him, that Jesus is going to say some words. And it's interesting, it even starts verse 29, he says, when the crowds were increasing... He began to say, it's interesting, Jesus, when the crowds go really big, Jesus' words tend to get pretty sharp. <laughs> and you're going to see that today. But as I study this, I, I, it's good. I, I pray it's good. Not my message, but the, the word. And, and when I first approached it, I said, okay, it's, it's this. It's this. It's this one thing. And then I saw, no, it's not just one thing. It's another thing. That I, that I think will encourage you and challenge us this morning. Verse 29, he says, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. 
but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now, Matthew gives us a little more insight in who was asking for a sign. Who, who was it? Do you remember from Matthew? Who was it? The Pharisees. They, they were the ones asking for a sign. And Jesus, because, because they want a sign, Jesus says, this generation is an evil generation. Now, it's interesting. When Jesus said that, I mean, this, these Pharisees would have been like, what? E- evil generation? Because let us remember, the Pharisees were the most dedicated people in that land to God, to the purposes of God. Like if you would compare your spiritual devotion to that of the Pharisees, you would come up lacking, I promise. They knew their Old Testament. They had it memorized. They were trying faithfully to what they thought follow the law of God. And they asked Jesus for a sign. Now on the surface, we can read that and be like, man, Jesus, why are you, why are you ripping them? All they want is a sign they want to be sure. But we know that's not true. As a matter of fact, they weren't just asking for a sign. They were really trying to make a spectacle of him, trying to, um, trying to show that he wasn't true. Next week, we're going to look at a passage where they actually want to accuse him of being from Satan and being evil. But they want a sign. And Paul even write about this. He'll say this, Jews demand signs. Like these Jews, they wanted a sign from God. And Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Look what he says, a stumbling block to the Jews. And we're going to see why. Like the message of Jesus, Jesus arriving on the scene the way he did was to those Jewish leaders a stumbling block. Meaning they could not get past him. And when Jesus says, this is an evil generation, uh, you guys know what a hyperlink is, right? A little, little blue hyperlink, it clicks you somewhere. This phrase would have been a hyperlink to those Pharisees when he says evil generation. The, this is a hyperlink to God talking about the evil generation of Israel in the time of Hosea, when Israel went way off track. But can you imagine the shock and awe of the Pharisees? Like, no, we're not like them. We are serious about our faith. We are serious about Yahweh. They're asking for a sign, but what Jesus is going to do is expose the motive behind their asking for a sign. Because what we can't see is these Pharisees come, okay, Jesus, we really want to know from, like, that's not what they're doing. Jesus knows that right now the Pharisees are plotting to kill him. They don't want a sign. And a matter of fact, Jesus is going to tell him, you have all the signs you need. It's interesting, and this would always confuse me as I would read the Gospels. I'd ask myself, why did the people of Jesus' day reject him? Why did these Jewish leaders reject him? Like, as we've been walking, you guys are going to help me here, okay? So we've got we to wake up and you're going to talk. As we've, uh, as we've been walking through the book of Luke, what are some signs that Jesus has done? Healed. What else? Calm storms. What? Louder. Cast out demons. You guys have been listening better than this. Come on, we've got a lot of them. What else? What's he been doing? Thank you. What else? What's that? Transfiguration. Yeah, sh- shown bright. Jesus has been doing signs the whole time. He has been showing that he has come from God. He has done miracles. Uh, the Pharisees don't need signs. They have them. And Jesus knows that, and therefore he is going to go right after their heart and expose their heart. He says this, no sign will be given except 
the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, again, I first started studying this. I read this. I'm like, Jonah, like, he's not really a hero. You guys know the story of Jonah? Sunday school, you guys, Sunday school people know the story of Jonah, right? Here's what, so Jonah's a prophet. God goes to Jonah. He says, Jonah, you need to go preach to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a capital city. Does anyone know the nation that Nineveh is the capital city of? Assyria. Good job. The most evil nation of that day. Maybe, arguably, one of the most evil nations of history. When we taught through the book of Judges, I read some accounts of what the Assyrians did to towns and villages and, and, and countries when they came and occupied them. Guys, it was evil. Flaying people alive. Hanging their skins up. Uh, awful. Capital city of the most evil nation of that time. God says, hey Jonah, go there and preach the gospel. That'd be like God saying to you a couple years ago, hey, uh, go to the stronghold of ISIS and tell them to repent. Which direction are you going? The other way, right? That, and that's what Jonah does. He leaves. He goes the other way and he runs. And he buys a ticket to the opposite direction. He's on a boat going as far away from God's plane as he can. A storm comes over the boat, the, the sea, and the, the people he's with understand and start to realize that he's running from God. And so Jonah says, hey, I'm running from God. He's going to kill us all. Just throw me overboard. And so they throw him overboard and then what happens next? A big, a big fish comes and swallows him, right? No, the Bible just says big fish. It doesn't say whale. We always make it a whale in Sunday school, but it's just a big fish. Big fish comes and swallows him, and he spends three days, three nights in the belly of this fish. Then gets spit out after three days um, and goes to Nineveh and starts to preach. Now, when he shows up in Nineveh, um, there's actually accounts in history of someone getting swallowed by a whale and spending some time in there. They actually, fishermen went and caught the whale and cut it open to get him out. When he came out, he was bleached white because of the stomach acid of the whale. So he shows up to Nineveh, probably looking a little funny. And he preaches this half-hearted sermon and basically says, hey, God's going to kill you if you don't repent expecting them to be like, yeah, whatever. And so he goes up on a hill, pulls up a chair to get a front row seat of the destruction that's getting ready to come to their greatest enemies, watching this, like, all right, this is going to be good. And what happens? They repent. And he's furious. I mean, these people are awful. One of the things I love about the Bible is it pretty honest. Here's what he says, Jonah chapter 4, this is from his words. It, just, it depleased Jonah exceedingly that, that Nineveh repented. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I want you to hear his prayer. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That why, this is why I made haste to, haste to flee to Tarshish. I, I'll get this out eventually here. For I knew that you, are, here, here his problem with God. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is what he said. God, the reason I didn't want to go there is I knew that you would forgive them if they repented. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. 
for it is better for me to die than to live. And I love like just how kind and grace the Lord is. Do you do well to be angry? I love that. The whole time he's ranting, not knowing that this character of God that he so hates for Nineveh, he needs for himself. You see that? That's the story of Jonah. And so Jesus is in this crowd and these, these Pharisees, hey, we need a sign. And he says, I'm not giving you a sign. The only sign you'll get is the sign of Jonah. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Here's the sign of Jonah. And I, like, why would Jesus compare himself to this man, Jonah? Like, he's not the most charming example of what a follower of God should be. Here's the sign of Jonah. That Jonah was cast out into the raging sea, presumed to die. That Jonah was swallowed by a fish, buried. And then three days later, that Jonah was spit onto land, resurrected. Pharisees say, hey, we want a sign. Show us something else. Jesus says, no, you will not have a sign except for I will give you one sign. In a few months, I will die. I will be buried and I will resurrect. That's the only sign you're going to get. It's the sign of Jonah. It's this once and for all sign to show Jesus' divinity. And that sign is working It's going to work. It's going to work either to soften people's heart to God or to harden people's heart away from God. It will work. It's a sign of the cross and the resurrection. And and Paul will say, listen, to to Jews and Greeks alike, that sign, it, it doesn't work. Like to the Jews, it seems crazy. It seems like not right that the Messiah would come and suffer and die And to the Greeks, to non-Jews, that'd be us, it seems foolish. Like, what? You believe in a carpenter that came and lived and then died on a tree and that's your hero? Seems crazy. And the Bible acknowledges it's a little, sounds a little crazy. And so Jesus says, you will not get a sign except for the sign of Jonah. And so when I read this, I was like, okay, this is obvious. He's just kind of giving us a picture of the cross that he's going to, and the resurrection is going to happen. End of sermon, let's go home. But Jesus continues. And so as we think about this idea of the sign of Jonah, it is this picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But I believe there's way much more going on here below the surface. Let's keep going because Jesus continues in verse 31. He goes on, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation. Now, again, if you've been with us in the cultural context that Jesus is in, Here's what he said, a woman, queen, will rise up and will judge you men. You all see the red flag there, right? That had to have been just like salt into a wound for these guys. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, it's another story. If you want to read it later, it's 1 Kings chapter 10. Here's what happens. Solomon's day. Solomon is is rich. He has this vast empire. He has all this wisdom. And word begins to trickle out um, to other nations that this guy named Solomon has this God named Yahweh. And that Yahweh has blessed them. And so this queen from the south, from Egypt, comes up to investigate 
who this God Yahweh is. And she goes to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 10. She has this conversation with Solomon and she believes in the God of Yahweh. And she blesses Solomon and says, man, you're, you're like, your God is correct. And so Jesus now ties back to this story of this queen from Egypt to unpack the heart of the Pharisees. What is Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying. That a pagan queen responds to God's love better than you do. See why the Pharisees want to kill him? A woman, number one, who's a pagan that doesn't even believe in Yahweh comes, she believes in God. She believes in Yahweh. She gets it. And she will sit in your judgment. Now, if that's not enough to make him mad, he's going to continue. Verse 32. And the men of Nineveh, there's our Assyrian evil people again, they will also rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jonah came and he preached to the most wicked empire maybe the world has ever seen. And they repented and they believed. And you Pharisees, don't. And those men of Nineveh, they'll judge you one day. It's almost like Jesus is provoking them. Which... Brings me this question, like, so remember, this whole discussion started because the Pharisees wanted signs. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Here's what Jesus is telling them. Another sign won't matter. It's not for lack of proof that the Pharisees didn't take Jesus in and, and take him as the Messiah. They didn't want a Messiah that would be crucified. They wanted a Messiah that was a conqueror. Their version of Messiah, what they have believed to their bones is a Messiah will come, sit from God. He will have an army. He will raise us up. We will defeat all of our enemies, Rome being enemy number one. We will defeat them. We will be on top of the world stage, and we will rule now. And Jesus is the exact opposite. And Jesus has a value system that's different than theirs. He looked different than they thought he would. He didn't fit into their categories And they didn't want him. They don't need a sign to believe. But rather, Jesus points to the fact that their hearts are wicked and rebellious, and the reality is they just don't want that Jesus. The sign of Jonah is not just about a death, burial, and resurrection, but it's a sign of God's own covenant people having this root of bitterness Because of who Jesus was, that they reject him. Like Jesus doesn't dance to their music. That's the sign of Jonah that's happening. So here's the question now what what do we do with this? Because we're not that wicked generation, we believe in Jesus. So as I wrestled with this, Here's, here's what I see. Here's what I saw for myself. I believe this story, it reveals in us our rebellious tendencies. At least it did for me. Um, you ever wanted a sign? 
from Jesus, like show me something, if you just show me, or maybe you have a friend that you've been walking with, God, if you would just show them something, if you would just make something happen and then they would believe, here's what I'll tell you, they won't. God's already given a sign, the cross, resurrection, and that's the only sign he will give. And that sign is enough. It's enough. Because Jesus performed all kinds of signs in his days and and the people rejected him anyway. Hear me. The signs and miracles don't lead to faith. Faith, granted by God, leads to us seeing the works of God as signs and miracles. Like I, I, I walk with a lot of people through faith, and even afterwards, a guy came up, and he's like, I'm walking with this person. I want so bad for them to believe. I want to find something I can convince them. And here's what, like, listen, you can't convince them. As a matter of fact, if you talk someone into faith, someone else can come and talk them out of faith. A sign won't do it. This big thing of God don't do it. Because the reality is the sign of Jonah points to the fact that our hearts are rebellious. It's not about not having intellectual proof or scientific evidence. It's about the fact that I don't want to live the way Jesus wants me to live. That's the sign of Jonah. I was listening to, uh, so one of my friends um, texted me. He was, one of his family members was kind of getting after him. that He's a Christian now. And he came come to, he's really like come to faith over the past year or so. And so his, his family member sent him this podcast, this atheist podcast. You, there's a hundred of them. Pick which one you want. And so I listened to it. It's about an hour and a half, two hours long, just kind of railing against why Christianity is not right and why it's silly and why all of us are just idiots. And here's what they said, and specifically talking about the resurrection, that Christians come with a bias to the resurrection. And they, and they, and they, they can't look at the evidence objectively. They just come with a bias. And here's what I say. You're right. <laughs> we do. We come through with a bias because God has given us faith to believe in the resurrection. But here's the reality as I listen to him. Hey, atheist podcaster, you come with a bias too. That bias is it's not right. So you, you and I can look at the same thing and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's right. And you're like, no, that's wrong. And we can argue all day long. A better sign won't work. A bigger sign won't matter. And that's what Jesus is saying. This generation doesn't need a sign But as a matter of fact, Jesus is exposing their hearts that they don't really want to follow Jesus. And so therefore, the sign, needing a sign, is simply a smokescreen to the fact that their hearts are rebellious. It's a great story um, that's come out of our church in the past couple years. A young man that's been coming to our church for several years, he came from India, um, Grew up as a Hindu. Came to India knowing it was a Christian, well, he, he, what he would say, America's a Christian nation. I think we could argue that a little bit. Um, and his number, the one, number one thing his family told him as he come, don't you dare become a Christian. Well, he met someone that comes to our church, started going to our church. And we have his story. And I want you to hear his story. It's a little video we're going to share. And I want you to hear what changes his heart. And I'll I'll give you a hint, it's not some big sign. It's not some intellectual proof. It's not some great argument. Because that won't do it. There's something bigger going on. Let's watch the story, then we'll talk afterwards. My name is Sai Sagi Satinaran Varma, but I go by Sani. Uh, I was born Hindu and 
I got to know Christ in this last two years since I've been in this country. I first met Sonny and it was the beginning of my sophomore year. Sonny was a freshman at the time and it was on MSU's campus at our Big Bear Bash event. Somehow, anywhere I go in the world, I have both. So I have Bahamad is my best friend from back home. And then I come here, two months later, I meet this guy. And then like, I, I realize like, there's another Bo here. Junior year, um, we actually did start getting really close and God started uh, giving me a lot of opportunities to have spiritual conversations with Sonny. That fall, Sonny started getting very interested in Jesus. Uh, he started asking a lot of questions. I kind of knew like Christianity, their God is Jesus. But something that blew my mind is like, so there's God and then there's Jesus. Jesus is Son of God. I can remember still, it was September. We'd been having a long conversation about Christianity versus Hinduism. He told me that Christianity was, it seemed very hopeful. He could see the, the joy that I had in it, but yet he, he knew that it wasn't a possibility for him because of the consequences that come for him uh, in pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ and leaving the Hindu faith. And I still remember leaving that conversation very discouraged because I, I felt like you know, after all the conversations we'd had, after, you know, this deep relationship we'd built, there were these huge hindrances to him pursuing a relationship with Christ alone. That's not what was going to change his heart. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that was going to do that. I would say the hardest part would be like, just knowing that my parents won't agree with it. I realized like, this should not stop me from wanting to know Christ. I can still remember I was talking to Sonny, it was about 1 a.m., we were in our condo, and he looked me in the eye and he was like, Bo, I've noticed that you and anybody else following Christ have hope. Like, I don't have hope in Hinduism. I can see God opening his eyes to truth, you know, and that was a huge turning point in our relationship. We were able to order in a Telugu translated Bible. It was in finally being able to, you know, read God's Word, like, in his own language, that God opened his his blind heart to the beauty of Christ. What I was thinking was a coincidence is not a coincidence. And me happened to get to know Bo. Out of all the places I could end up in this country, I happened to be in Springfield, Missouri. Like, how? Someone who certainly didn't know the gospel and see that the Word of God is so powerful enough to allow him to see like, the, the true beauty of the gospel. As many of you guys know, I'm a student at Missouri State. I'm currently on a semester break and I'm back home. Um, so the main reason why I'm back home is because I wanted to share the gospel with my family and the people that I really care about. Um, so about six months ago, when I was in the U.S. I mean, during summer semester, um, I, I was just not happy with where I am. It's just, um, I just felt like... I, where I've been, not knowing Christ three years ago to where I am during the summer, it's just being a great blessing and being part of Hill City was just incredible to getting to know Christ and serve and be part of something bigger than myself. Uh, it just felt like I was being selfish if I didn't share that. It just hit me pretty hard when I came to realize that like, if something happened that day, my mom and dad and my friends that I really care about back in India are not going to be in heaven with me and that just made me sad so I took a big step in taking a semester off 
And so the main purpose why I'm home is to be able to show them what Christ has done in my life. And I want them to see that and be able to experience that. And I want them to kind of know what Christ, who Christ is and what he could do by seeing what he has done in my life. And so, yeah, I, would, uh, I want to ask you guys to um, pray for my family and my friends. Um, I want to pray for... Um, I want to ask you guys to pray for people that are sharing the gospel in India. I want to pray for their safety and I want to ask you guys to pray for uh, the, pray that things go well with my family and hopefully that they come to Christ. Nothing more that I can ask for. Did you hear what, uh, what did it for him? It wasn't some big sign. It was him reading the Bible, watching many of you for years live out their faith and all of a sudden God's like yeah you're going to believe now and he did so we can start to believe if God would just do something then and the reality is no that's not that's not right it didn't work here it wouldn't work now the true belief comes through faith which God imparts to us And, and walking with people, and we see this in this passage, like here's what I've come to understand. When most people either don't believe or they walk away from faith, it's not really because of some big scientific or philosophical argument. Now, they may say it is, but here's the reality. The reality is that Jesus comes against our own ways of doing it by ourselves, doing it our way. And that is a stumbling block, and it always has been and it always will be. But God used his word and the life of many of you to show this guy from India that had um, grew up believing Jesus was just this other thing to all of a sudden it's his hope and so much. And I wish you guys could have had this conversation when he comes, comes in the office back in, in August. He's like, I've got to go back. I can't stay here. I've got to go back. Knowing for him to go back may mean he never gets to come back here and finish his degree here. Knowing for him to go back may mean he's disowned for his family, a, a, a very high-influence family in India. There's something that God does in his people when they, when they come alive with the scriptures and come alive with who this Jesus is, and it's not about some big sign. And I, and I want to encourage us, many of you are, are walking with people and you're talking, in our city group this week, one of, the gr- one of the girls in our group is just like, I've been praying for my brother for three years. I've been t- like, why hasn't God done something? Right now, I'm walking with a, a, a guy that we meet every single Monday morning and guys, I want so bad to try to t- talk him into faith. I'm, I won't let myself, but I want to. And I find myself even want to take the message of Jesus and soften it a little bit so he'll believe. And he's got all kinds of issues intellectually, Scientifically, he, he has some issues with his heritage and, and what, um, what people in the name of Jesus has done to his, an, to his ancestors. And so there's a big part of that. I can't talk him into it. And if I do, someone else will talk him out. And it's frustrating. It's hard. And, and, and like I hear your guys' stories. Um, another cool story. just heard about this week. A girl comes here, another student from Europe, um, has been started coming to our church in the fall, never been to a church, never really exposed to Christianity, walking with another one of our students. She just kind of said this week, hey, by the way, I believe now. So cool. 
But, but again, it's not because of some big thing that God does. It's God using the truth of his word and you all, like many of you, all of you, to show them there's, there's something more here. For Sonny, it was joy. It was hope. In his um, religion of Hinduism, there was no hope and joy for him. And as he's around our, our students and, and many of our adults, he's seeing this hope. And after a while, it's like there's got to be truth to this. Like, as I, as I walk with people through Christianity, here, here's what I'll tell you. Maybe this is encouraging, encouraging for you. Most people, their doubts, concerns with, with Christianity, it's not like they get them answered and then they come to faith. Usually. Usually it's something happens in their life where all of, the, all of a sudden their doubts and concerns become very small. And they bring their doubts with them to faith. That's what I see over and over and over again. But as we look at the sign of Jonah here, it points out to the rebellious hearts of the leaders of Israel. But let's hear this, church folk, this morning. I think it points to the rebellious hearts of us. Because I get frustrated that Jesus doesn't act the way I want him to. I've had my why God moments. And there's something about Jesus that pushes against our hearts and our desire to live life the way we want to live. And here's what I'll tell you. If, if you don't, if you're like, what? You're probably not following the real Jesus. You probably made up your own. Who's always okay with what you want to do. See, the Pharisees, like, they, they, they couldn't reject, they couldn't take a Jesus that would be a humble servant who would sacrifice his life. They couldn't take that. That was not their version of Messiah. And I think the danger for us is we have our own Jesus. Right? And that could look different from you because Jesus will push against us. So for some of you, that is like your idea of Jesus is just this grace-loving, oh, everyone's in thing. And therefore, there's patterns in your life that you haven't turned over and you're just kind of doing what you want to do and you think that Jesus will just keep blessing you in the midst of doing what you want to do. Here's what I tell you, that's not the real Jesus. I love you enough to tell you that. And for some of us, like, you've been in church for a long time, and you know, you're not doing those, you know, those big things, but man, like your theology, you know it, but Jesus will tell you, like, hey, the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the alien, the orphan, like, go serve them, and that pushes against what you want to do. See, the real Jesus will press against the rebellious parts of our heart. And so the sign of Jonah was about his death and burial and resurrection, but the sign of Jonah is about these evil Ninevites repenting and receiving the grace and mercy in God while the self-righteous prophet missed it. The sign of Jonah is about this pagan queen coming to hear truth and respond while the generation of Israelites missed it. The sign of Jonah is about harlots and thieves and sinners embracing the kingdom with Jesus while the religious leaders missed it. And I believe the sign of Jonah is a warning to church people who know doctrine and know practices and know morality, but maybe have made up their own version of who Jesus is. Like the sign of Jonah is not comfortable, it presses into the corners of our heart that desire to do it our own way. So my prayer this morning for us, my hope for us this morning is we see that Jesus performed a sign, it's enough, it's the cross, the resurrection, it's good enough. 
it's still working. The power is still working. But also that many of you that are, to- that are toiling, that are working with people, feeling the burden of like, them believing like you would not lose heart, you would not give up. There's this uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about this. He's writing about how he just, he, he's, he's doing his ministry. And here's what he says. He says, the God of this age, that's evil, has blinded the hearts of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. Here's what he says. Like, Satan, evil, has blinded hearts. And when people hear the message of the cross, it's like, that's, that's silly, that's stupid. Two verses later, he'll say this. But God is shining light into hearts. The God that said, let there be light, is shining light into hearts. And so there's this war, this battle going on. Satan blinding hearts. God shining light into hearts. Just like he did with Sonny. And right in the middle, right in between those two passages, here's what he says. So we, what do we do? We preach Christ crucified. We preach the gospel, the power of God for salvation. Don't give up. Don't try to talk him into it. Don't try to soften the words of Jesus. Don't give up. I talked to a guy, he came up afterwards, he's in tears. He's like, I want so bad for my friend. Like, dude, I tell you, I do too. Got another couple of guys, I'm walking with one's walking away from, he's getting ready to wreck his life and I see it coming. Another and he's like right there, he wants to believe and I just, like I so bad just want to have the belief fairy and just like hit him over the head. I can't. That's the work of God. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. That's what Paul says and I, I don't lose heart. I keep going. May we trust, may we trust today in the message of the cross. It's the power of God for salvation. It's working. May you believe this morning the real Jesus, not your own. And may you be invited to repent of your own Jesus maybe you've created. As we come to the table this morning, um, I pray it'll point us kind of this sign of Jonah a little bit that we have all us coming from all different backgrounds, but we're welcome together at the table to celebrate the grace and mercy of God.